Good morning, everybody. I hate to interrupt all this great fellowship, but it is 10 o'clock, so we're going to get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you for your grace and your love and your righteousness. We thank you that we could never achieve, no matter what we did, your perfect righteousness, and we need that in order to be with you in heaven forever. And so we thank you that you provided your son as the sacrifice for all our sins so that by simply believing, not doing any work, simply believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we'll never perish. We'll have eternal life, your life, from the moment we believe all the way till we get to heaven. We ask this morning, Father, that you would bless our, our goings on, that you would have the Holy Spirit guide each and every one of us, including the, the teacher this morning. We ask, Father, for your protection and guidance for all those who are in harm's way, for all those who are suffering in any way. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I bring greetings this morning from several of the saints, several of the uh, p- people that are in missionary work. Um, speaking with Keith yesterday, by the way, his uh, conference in Kenya went very, very well. I wanted to pass that along. Um, also, uh, Kingsley all the time is saying hi. I don't, I don't always say it, but he really is. Same thing with the Pastor Adams in India. I know we've never, you've never met him, but he's somebody that we support from time to time. Um, it's got a great congregation there, great ministry, a lot of poverty, um, and he sends his greetings as well. And then finally, Rich Freeman, who will be coming to join us in the fall. He also wanted to extend his best wishes to the congregation. All right, with that, let's begin. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. We're going to start today in verse 8, John chapter 9, verse 8. sure I'm not muted. I'm not muted. I'm all set. John chapter 9, starting in verse 8, our title today, What Do You Say About Him? What do you say about him? This is a question that the Pharisees are going to ask the man who was born blind and now can see. But again, let's begin. We're picking up today in chapter 9, verse 8. I'll read the passage and then we'll get started. John chapter 9, verse 8. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he looks like it. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, well, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Silm and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees this man who was formerly blind. Now, 
It was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened the eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And the man said, he is a prophet. We pick things up today in the wake of an extraordinary miracle, unprecedented. Jesus had opened the eyes of a man who had been blind from birth. We saw last week that that had never been done at any time. Nobody in the Old Testament ever did it. And it would, it would only be done in, the, in all the records of the Bible only by one man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, even after Jesus rose from the dead and his apostles, Paul and Peter, were performing great miracles. They never opened the eyes of a blind man. So this is unique. It, was, it is, remember, proof this miracle that he took a man who was formerly blind and opened the eyes of his eyes such that he's now called the man who was formerly blind. That miracle, remember, proved proved that Jesus is the son of God and the Jewish Messiah. Son of God, because the Old Testament said only God can heal the blind. The Jewish Messiah, because the Old Testament prophets said that when the Messiah comes, he will be the one who can heal the blind. So he proved to anyone who had eyes to see that he is the son of God and the Jewish Messiah. So then remember the man received his sight at the pool of Siloam and then he went his way. Now it's interesting, fascinating that in this chapter, in this story, Jesus will not appear again in this narrative until verse 35. By the way, that's very unlike, like for example, in chapter five, when he also performed a miracle, there was a man who was a paralytic. Jesus healed him. But from there forward, the, the rest of that chapter is, is basically first confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, such that they said, we want to, we, we, this man should die. And then Jesus teaching. So that was the way it happened in chapter five. Here in chapter nine, it's very different. Here, Jesus performs the miracle. And then we see the man going to the pool and being healed. And then he goes on his way. And from there, all the way, that's verse seven, from there all the way to verse 30, 34, Jesus isn't on the scene. That doesn't mean that there's no witness to who he is, though. We're going to see what that's all about. So again, the man received his sight, went on his way. Jesus, from this point forward, is not in the picture. He's not present for any of the conversations that John records from chapter and from verse eight all the way to verse 34. It's interesting because the conversations that are recorded here, the Pharisees participated three of them, half of them, and he, they never even mention his name. They won't even mention his name, but it's clear who they're talking about. So, again, even when Jesus isn't present, he's still the entire focus of, of, of the Gospel of John. And we'll see that this morning. But Jesus is not present 
to provide testimony concerning who he is, as he had been doing in chapter 5, in chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, are all full of Jesus showing who he is, proclaiming who he is, talking about his father. Here he's absent, and yet there is a witness. Only now it is that man, the man who was formerly blind, testifies on his behalf. And we're going to see that as well. But again, this is very different from the last time Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. When Jesus healed the paralytic, remember, it led to a confrontation between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. Here in chapter 9, the confrontation is going to be between the man born blind and the Pharisees, the Jews particularly, the leaders, and then also between the Pharisees themselves, which we haven't seen before. That's going to that's going to reveal some things that we hadn't seen before concerning the relationship between the Pharisees and Jesus. But again, in chapter five, Jesus himself told them who he was. I'd like you to turn to John chapter five, starting in verse 16. John chapter five, verse 16. And again, Jesus, the man who, who, who he healed, also went away. The man told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Then from that point forward, the Jews were persecuting him. Look at verse 16. For this reason, the Jews, the Jews in John's gospel are usually the leaders of the, of the, of the, of the nation of Israel, the high priests and so forth. They were the ones who start persecuting him. So remember, I just keep emphasizing this because of the history of the church and its anti-Semitism. Not not the real church, but the established church over time, particularly the Catholic Church, but not just the Catholic Church. Um, the Jewish, the Jews are not the Jewish people as a whole. After all, Jesus is Jewish. The twelve apostles are Jewish. The paralytic was Jewish. The man born blind was Jewish. All the people that believed in him, with the exception of the Samaritans in this gospel, are Jewish. Okay, so it's a very technical term. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. We see that again. This sets another parallel between where we are today, because as we're going to, as we saw, Jesus also healed the man who was born blind on the Sabbath. They said they said the Jews were persecuting him because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them. Notice he he speaks on behalf of himself. My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath in their eyes, by the way, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And by the way, he was not breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling calling him the son of calling himself the son of, his, of the God, the father. And in that sense, making himself equal with God. All right. So so back in chapter nine of the Gospel of John, if you go back now to chapter nine, we'll continue to we'll pick up from there. Where we were, John chapter nine, verses eight to 17. <clears throat> I want to give you an outline of the rest of this chapter. And it, it, it proceeds along six different conversations that we're going to see that John records. 
They're all about Jesus, the miracle worker. They're different. They're, they're different groups that are discussing and arguing and debating in each of them. But always the focus becomes Jesus, the miracle worker. So that's important to remember. That's now that's important because Jesus himself isn't here present for any of these conversations, yet they're all talking about him. There are six different conversations about the miracle worker Jesus. I want you. I want to give them now because not only is this the the structure, but also you're going to see a, a movement, a progression. Again, all with that one question of the Gospel of John: Who is Jesus? All right. The first one, the first conversation is going to be between the man. I'm going to abbreviate this man because he's in several of the conversations, and I get lazy. The formerly blind man, or FBM for short. He and his neighbors, are the, are the first conversation is between them. That's in verses 8 through 12. We saw that this morning. We're going to see the first two of these this morning. The second one is the, the man who was, who was formerly blind and the Pharisees. As we saw, his neighbors decided that they needed to bring him, bring this, this revelation about the miracle that was performed and the one who performed it to the Pharisees. And that's the second conversation. There, there we see the Pharisees interacting, interviewing, confronting this man. That's in verses 13 to 17. We read that. We'll also take a look at that in more detail today. Third one is now the Jews are not, of course, satisfied. They, they've heard things from this man born blind. They don't like what they hear. They need another witness. They go and said, bring the parents of this man. Because they would, if anybody, they would know this was their son and that he was blind. So they do that. And, and, they, and the parents answer truthfully, yes, this is my, our son. Yes, he was born blind. Yes, he now can see. But when they ask him the question, okay, so how, is, how did he come to see? They wouldn't say because they were afraid. Okay, they were afraid. Now, remember, all the way back in Chapter 5, we saw how even back then the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem we're already persecuting Jesus, and we'll see later on in this chapter that, that it advanced to the point where they, where they declared that anybody who declares that Jesus is the Messiah will be thrown out of the synagogue. The synagogue, by the way, was the center of life for the Jewish communities. So that was essentially being banished from the community. Right? Then the fourth convert, that's in verses 18 to 23, the Jews talking to the parents of the formerly blind man. Then in then four, they bring him back. And once again, the formerly blind man has a confrontation, is interviewed by and challenges this time himself, the Jews. That's in verse 24 to 34. It's at that point where they, they decide to throw him out of the Sabbath, I mean, of, of the synagogue. One thing, I'll mention this again, but by the time in, in, in verses 13 to 17, Right? They're called the Pharisees. After that, there's a group referred to as the Jews. And that's not an accident. We're going to see why there's that change from, from, Paul, from John talking about the Pharisees to talking about the Jews. We still have two more to go. The fifth one now, after, after they decide they're going to throw him out of the synagogue, now Jesus comes and seeks him out, and then they have a conversation. Right? This is the highlight of chapter 9. In verses 35 to 38, this is when, when the blind man who now sees physically will now see spiritually 
all of whom Jesus is, and he'll believe in him and worship him. But there's one more conversation here, and that's at the end of the chapter. And now Jesus now has a conversation with the Pharisees. And that's in chapter chapter 9, verses 39 to 41. So again, there are six things come around at the beginning. We have Jesus and the man that was, that was blind. And then we proceed and we see the parents with the Pharisees, with the Jews, the, the man who was formerly blind with the Jews. Then it comes all the way back around with Jesus. Now he is confronting and what he says finally at the end of the chapter, the Pharisees. All right. So, again, I'm going to review these because this is where we're headed for the rest of the chapter. It's the structure. It's the it's the significant pieces. It forms conversations. The formerly blind man and his neighbors first verses eight to twelve. Second, the same man and the Pharisees verses 13 to 17. Next, the Jews notice the notice the change. The, far, the, the man formerly blind and Pharisees are called in verses 13 to 17. But now, it, starting in verse 18, John refers to them as the Jews. The, 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 he, the Jews have a confrontation with the parents of this man. That's the third conversation from verses 18 to 23. The fourth one is between this man and the Jews. A second time, verses 24 to 34. The fifth one is this formerly blind man in Jesus, the highlight of the chapter, verses 35 to 38. And then the last three verses, Jesus finally confronts the Pharisees himself in verses 39 to 41. So that's where we're headed because there is this progression from the first conversation through all the way to the sixth. I wanted you to see all of them in briefly this morning because they're, they're strongly connected with one another. And as we've seen before, the thing that you always want to keep constant, how you best can see how these conversations evolve, is asking that simple question, who is Jesus? Only you're asking it in terms of how the people that are involved in these conversations see him. And there there are very different views of Jesus that are depicted in chapter 9. This is a continuation of what we've seen, where, where Jesus presents who he is, and there is, people can have, have, make their own minds up, as it were. They can, either, they can either believe who he is or they can reject him. Those who believe go on. They grow in their understanding of Jesus. Those who don't believe grow in their hostility and rejection of him. And it's no different in this chapter. All right. So Jesus has given sight to a blind man. We know and those who believe know that he is definitely the Messiah and the Son of God. By now, the evidence has accumulated as we've moved through the chapters, especially us as the ones that John is writing to, because we get to see it all. We get to see the beginning when we when we see who the Word is made flesh. We'll see the end when Jesus talks to Thomas, and he's the final skeptic among the apostles, and then he, he is then totally convinced and then in between, we see this conflict moving through that he reveals himself. People have a decision point. They're forced into it. And some people believe in him and some people reject him, just like in every generation. So and the thing about it is, by this point, because of all the evidence that's accumulated, a lot of it in Jerusalem now. I mean, early on, Jesus was primarily not in Jerusalem. Remember, he was he was in the he was with the uh, Samaritans. And then he was in Galilee, and, 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 and uh, so he was not among the, the Jewish leaders, but then he moves to Jerusalem 
and the confrontation, of course, rises, the temperature rises on the resistance and the hatred for him. So, because here's the thing, anybody who has spiritual eyes at this point knows who he is. It's obvious that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Again, I mentioned last week that um, in preparation for this next next chapter, I, I looked at quickly going through the whole gospel, the different places where Jesus is revealed as God's son. And I could count 24. There's, there's more. But so, so this anybody who, who comes to the gospel of John and comes away not thinking that Jesus is the son of God is actively working to reject that message. Well, they're rejecting it. Uh, they have more. They have help in, in, in the activity part. Because we know Satan is the god of this world, and we know that every unbeliever is actually a child of Satan. I know those are strong words, but I didn't say them. Jesus did. Okay. Anybody who has those spiritual eyes is convinced by this point he is who he says he is. He is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, and he is the Son of God, by the way, also promised in the Old Testament. We saw that in our little series on the Messiah on the Christ, the messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. We saw where he's clearly revealed. The Messiah is clearly also revealed as deity, even in the Old Testament. Okay. But again, the challenge. All right. The light has come. It's the light that enlightens every man. When we talk about the light here, we're talking about the revelation about who he is. Every man receives that in some form or other. Okay. But then they have a choice. They have there's a point at which people can go one or two ways. They can either come to the light. The light's there for them, but they can either come to it. Now, they remember, every unbeliever is in the darkness. The light shines. It's Jesus, who he is. They can, they can come to the light or they can remain in the darkness. Most, unfortunately, would rather stay in the darkness. Because as Jesus said, they know their deeds are evil, but they don't want to face that fact. They don't want to have to accept who they are. And so instead, it's far easier to just walk away from the light so they don't have to deal with that anymore. Most people do that. That's tragic, but it's true. Some come to the light and then their deeds, as it were, this is after they're saved now, are revealed as being deeds that are according to God's desires for man. After they believe, though, because the believing is the starting point. Believing is how people receive eternal life, declared righteous. That eternal life means that they are being heaven with God forever and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul has this revelation never known before that every believer in Christ now in the church age is already seated with God in Christ. That's how amazing. We're actually heavenly people already by simply believing in Christ. We are every believer in Christ who believes that he is the Savior, believes that he is God's Son, and that he died for our sins, was buried and raised from the dead. Each and every one of those people are already citizens of heaven. You, if you're a believer in Christ, you're already a citizen of heaven. Remarkable. We would never know that except for how the Bible reveals it to us. All right, let's get into the conversations now. Please turn now in your Bible. Once again, you're probably still there, but in case you were not, let's go to John chapter 9, verse 8. John chapter 9, verse 8. This is the first conversation. Since Jesus has healed the man born blind. The, the man, after he was healed, after he received his sight, went away. 
You know, some people read this and think that he came back to Jesus. That's not stated. He didn't. He went. He went. Well, we know where he went because now we see him in conversation with his neighbors. So he basically went home, as it were, or at least went to the people who are most familiar with him. Again, that's not an accident because those were the people who would be the first witnesses to the miracle. You see, you see, the, the, the disciples of Jesus didn't actually see him regain his sight. The disciples of Jesus weren't even told, hey, I'm going to put clay on this man's eyes. He's going to go to this pool. He's going to wash and he's going to have his sight for the first time in his life. Jesus didn't say anything to the disciples. The first one, other than Jesus, who knew about this miracle was the man. The second group that, that learned about it would be his neighbors. OK, by the way. It, it, when we look at the spiritual aspect of this, that, that we are born blind in sin and then we receive our sight, we believe in Christ, then we go to people closest to us, don't we? You know, um, and and be, and most of us have had the experience similar to the man who's going to have the experience where a lot of people reject him. Right. We've I'm sure we've all had some some semblance of that, whether it's neighbors or family or whoever. Unfortunately, sometimes it's close family, good friends. So Jesus, you know, he said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, that does that that sword is not a sword of violence. It's a sword of clarity. Right. The word of God clarifies. Okay, people, when somebody when when somebody in your life believes in Christ and and tells you about it. Now you've got a decision to make. Right. If you're an unbeliever, now you've been you're seeing directly direct evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. So this is the first conversation. Again, it's between Jesus, I mean, the blind man formerly and his neighbors. Let's read verses eight and nine at this time. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar. He was a beggar because he couldn't work. Okay, because he was blind. He previous they previously saw him as a beggar and they were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still, others were saying, no, but he is like him. He kind of looks like him, but he's not the same guy. He kept saying, I am the one. He, now, he had to keep saying it because people kept having these conversations where some of them said, yeah, I think he's the one. No, he can't be the one. It's got to be somebody else. We've never heard of anybody who was blind receiving sight, so it can't be. And the man kept saying, yes, I am the one. So eventually these people realized that a miracle had occurred, and they were totally astonished, as anyone would be, even today. If we, even today, when, when, when somebody is blind, and then, and then by whatever technology we have today, in some cases... Um, usually not somebody born blind, but somebody who had a had a damage to his eyes can then regain some of his sight. And that's still miraculous. Still, we see it. OK, back then, there was no hope for a man like that. Right. Un- unless a miracle occurred. Right. And it had to have been a, a, an unprecedented miracle. So this is a double, double reason for being astonished that any blind man would see and that this would be a, a miracle that could only be from the hand of God. He was blind and now he can see. And they're the ones that couldn't believe their eyes. In fact, as we've seen, some of the neighbors, they didn't want to accept the truth 
And so they figured, again, where do they move? They move to say, well, it can't be him. It can't be him. Right? I'm sure some people have done the same thing when the, when a believer comes back home for Thanksgiving. And they say, this isn't, this can't be our son, right? Where is he? Who, who, you know, look at him now. He's alive. He, has, he tells us that Jesus Christ is the ultimate. Um, who is this man, right? So even though it's not physical blindness, the physical sight, spiritual blindness, the spiritual sight, very often um, brings about the same kind of reaction. So again, they, some of them denied that, that, that he was even the same man, but he kept on insisting he's the same man who used to beg. You see, by so doing, he becomes the first witness to the miracle, the first witness to who Jesus is in this chapter. He will continue to play that role as the chapter moves along. So now the neighbors have seen this is a miracle, but they don't know how it happened. They, 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 they understand now. They accept what they see before their eyes. But now, of course, the natural question is, how did this happen? They needed to know how he regained his sight. Now, again, there could be skeptics in the audience. There were. Some of them probably were thinking, wait a minute, this is a trick. Right? He's fooling up. Maybe that beggar really was never blind. I mean, you see that in the movies sometimes, right? There's a character who fakes being blind, and then somebody throws something to him, and he catches it, and he's caught, you know, no pun intended. Right. So they some of them probably thought that he was faking it all these years. Right. But in any event, they needed to know how. How did this happen? Now, what happens in, in verse 10 is they ask him that question and then he gives a simple but accurate account of his healing. If he were a witness in a court and he was they told him that you have to tell the truth, he would have been a perfect witness. He said exactly the truth and nothing else. He's going to continue to be. That's why he's so credible. Now, not only should he have been credible to the people involved in the conversations in chapter nine, he's also credible with anybody who reads chapter nine and again has eyes to see. So let's look at that now. Look at verse 10. Come on. Oops. Did I skip it? I think. Hold on a second. I think I have fingers. No. Okay. Anyway, chapter, John chapter 9, verse 10. They were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? And he answered, the man who was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And I went away and I washed and I received my sight. I want you to take a peek. In verses 6 and 7. Let's go back to verses 6 and 7. Here's, the, here's what actually happened. When Jesus had said this, he spat on the ground and he made clay of the spittle and he applied the clay to his eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and he washed and he came back seeing. Notice the, how, how the, the man recounts the event the, back in verse 10. All right, we're comparing verses 6 and 7 to verse 10 and 11. How were your eyes open? He answered, the man who's called Jesus made clay. It's exactly what John tells us, the narrator. And he anointed my eyes. This is exactly what we see in verses 6 and 7. Here, here in, in verse 7, in verse 6 rather. He anointed my eyes. 
He said to me, go to Siloam and wash. That's exactly what Jesus said in verse 7. And the man did so. He went away and he washed. That's exactly what John says. And then he came back seeing. And then then the recounting of it in verse 11, I received sight. In other words, he's a completely accurate, credible witness. He doesn't embellish. He doesn't try to hide. He knew. He had to know on some level that this was going to be controversial. Yet he was very simple and straightforward about it. Great witness. Great witness. That's what I wanted you to see, even from the very beginning. So at this point, now the neighbors know not only was this a great miracle, but there's a miracle worker behind it. Miracle worker named Jesus behind it. Now, you can bet. And that that those people, when they heard that it was Jesus, were again startled and concerned because, remember, they know already, most of them, probably all of them, that Jesus was being persecuted. He was enemy number one for the Jewish leaders. And now they're finding, wait a minute, he's the one who was behind this. Again, a, a confrontation in the hearts of men. They can't they can't run away anymore unless they they can. But they have to understand that that Jesus is who he says he is based on, again, another thing, the miracle. So naturally, right, if it were you or I and we saw a man who was healed of blindness and we ask him how it happened. And he says, there's a man called Jesus who did this. And now I see we would naturally want to say, hey, let's let's bring him in. Let's go and see him. And And that's what they said. They said, listen, we want to know who he is. And the man born blind started out in the dark, but now he sees who Jesus is. Notice in verse 11, they say, Jesus, I mean, the, the, the man born blind says, This man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. And then verse 12, they said to him, Where is he? And notice what he said, I do not know. That's another good thing about this man. He doesn't know something. He doesn't try to make something up. He admits, I don't know. But again, this is now a spiritual principle. All right. When he's when they asked him how it was done, he told them the facts. When they when they asked him where he is, he admitted he didn't know. That's a picture of his, his spiritual status. Remember, the man was born blind, but not only that, he started out in the dark about who Jesus is. He really didn't know anything other than his name, didn't know where he went. But as as the conversations go along, he is going to he's going to see more and more about who Jesus is. Some of that seeing is going to be in his heart where he starts putting things together. Other other parts of it will be revealed to him directly. So. So the man Starts in the dark. He learns the bare minimum, which was his name. The first thing is his name. He said, the man who was called Jesus healed me. So now he just he simply knows his name. But, of course, he knows something else, something amazing, that this man, Jesus, gave him back his sight. And that's what's going to start working in his heart so that he comes more and more to realize the fullness of who this man is who healed him. Well, the conversation ends, this first one, between the the formerly blind man and his neighbors. And it's really inconclusive. Or at least we don't know what happens from there concerning his neighbors. Right. We know that they were astonished. They were amazed. Some of them couldn't believe their eyes. He tells them there's the man called Jesus, who's the miracle worker. Now they want to know where he is. 
but they don't know. They just were left with them, and we don't know either what happened to those people, whether who believed, who didn't. So it's inconclusive. Not a, not really a confrontation at all, but just people who are trying to come to grips with it. Some will accept it. Some a lot will end up not. So the blind man, all he knows is that there's a man named Jesus. We have neighbors in shock. Now they need confirmation, right? They need confirmation. Again, that they're not being fools. They need confirmation that it's possible. If they need confirmation, they want to know. They want to know who is this man really, this Jesus. So what do they do? Well, you know, in the Catholic Church, if, if somebody had a crisis, they used to ask the parish priest, hey, what do you think about it, Right? Well, that's the same, kind of the same thing here, because they turn to the local religious leaders. Now, the thing is, is that you might say, well, why don't they turn to a court? Well, they did. <laughs> see, see in, in, in the structure of the Jewish life, the, the leaders were everything. They were the judges. They were the jury. And so they naturally would go to them. Not only that, but some of the Pharisees were experts on the law. And they knew that they could draw from their knowledge, they thought they knew, that they could draw from their knowledge from the Old Testament and tell these people what was happening or not happening. Is this legitimate? Are we being fooled? Is it possible that a man could heal a blind man? So they went to the Pharisees. These are the local church leaders, not church, but religious leaders in their neighborhood, so to speak. The Pharisees who taught in their synagogues. And now we see the second conversation. John 9, 13. They brought to the Pharisees this man who was formerly blind. Now there was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it, right? He applied clay to my eyes, I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, stop for a minute. Just stop for one minute. Here's a man who is cons- consistently saying that there was a man named Jesus and he was the man was totally blind. A man named Jesus makes clay and then puts it on his eyes and then he washes himself in the pool and he sees. Now, now, if you were somebody who had a who has any integrity and heard that evidence, I don't think the first thing you would say would be, well, I was on the Sabbath, so it can't be can't be real. But that's what they said. I, he can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Right. He can't be from God because uh, he doesn't uh, do all the rituals that the church says you're supposed to do. How could he possibly be from God? Others were saying, now notice, this is where we first see a split among the Pharisees. We haven't seen this before. Notice some of them were saying, some of them were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. You you know, here you have powerful men, well-respected, 
right? And they're disagreeing, right? But rather than continue along the path of working out, well, which is it, right? Instead, they, 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 they deflect and they turn to a guy who has no standing at all in the community. And they say, what do you think? Because they, they, they wanted to d- deflect attention from the fact that they were in disagreement. And they put it on this poor man's shoulders. What do you think? But it was probably half in jest, really. Right. They actually, as we'll see, didn't really care what he thought. Okay, but they didn't they didn't like the fact that they were disagreeing. Now, I want you to notice um, in verse 20, verse uh, 14. That it says John now is the narrator and he says in verse 14, now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. This is verse 14, right? This chapter obviously starts in verse 1. John didn't mention this, right? When he, when he narrated the miracle itself, he didn't say it was on the Sabbath. When the neighbors met, you know, met up with the blind man, they didn't say it was on the Sabbath. So why now? Why in, in verse 14 is John recognizing, bringing to our attention that it was the Sabbath on the day that Jesus made clay and open his eyes. Again, this is the first time that we learn this. Learn this the first time. Read it. Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. Now, having gone through chapter 5, I think we already realize, uh-oh, there's going to be a confrontation. right? Because that's already what happened. But it's, if we step back, we have to think, wait a minute. This wasn't an issue for the man himself. That it was on the Sabbath. This wasn't an issue for his neighbors. So the reason why John now tells us is because the Pharisees are about to make a huge issue out of it. it it's it's tangential. It's it's really unimportant, all right, in the scheme of things. And yet they're the ones that are going to make a big, big, big issue out of it, just like they did in chapter five when Jesus healed the paralytic, also on the Sabbath. Now. So it was the Sabbath. And then John, notice he mentions two things. He mentions two things. This is back in verse 14. Now it was the Sabbath, a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. It was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Now, there's a strong connection between his revealing that it's the Sabbath and the things he says next. Strong connection. He doesn't say everything. He points out two things. He made clay and he'd opened his eyes. And so the reader is forced to also make a choice. Why, what, why did the Pharisees think he wasn't keeping the Sabbath? Why did they even bring it up? Was it because he made clay or because he healed a man? And that's going to be the choices that is going to follow through this second conversation. They're going to split on that. Someone's going to look at this and they're going to say, he healed. Others are going to say, he made clay on the Sabbath. We need to think about the merits of those two approaches to what happened. All right. So, again, he, he mentions two things. John mentions two things. He draws our attention to two elements in what happened in, when Jesus healed this blind man. First, he says he made the clay. Second, he says he opened the eyes of the blind man. Now, I don't know, I was, uh, I was looking at um, the passages in the Old Testament not too long ago on the law and the Sabbath, and I, I may have missed it, but I, couldn't, I didn't come across the passage that says, thou shalt not make clay on the Sabbath. 
Where did that come from? Did that come from God? No, it didn't. And yet, it was a, it, so it was a man-made rule, and yet that's where the, some of the Pharisees land on this. They have, a, they have a choice, right? They can be marveling at God's work, or they can cling to a man-made rule. Hmm. How often do we see that? Marvel at God's work or cling to a man-made rule? You see, human nature doesn't change. See, and the reason why people cling to a man-made rule is because they can't accept the implication of God's incredible work. Why? Because if they accept that, they have to accept the fact that Jesus is the miracle worker and they have to accept the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And if Jesus is who he says he is, everything changes. Everything changes. So people remain in the dark. They'll cling to a man-made rule. Okay, so now in verse 15, the Pharisees ask him again. And they say again, it means they ask the same question that the neighbors did. The Pharisees asked the man the exact same question, which is what? How did you receive your sight? How did you receive your sight? And he said to them, I, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Again, he states the truth again, simply, clearly. It's the same thing he said the first time he was interrogated by his neighbors. Now he says it again. And, and, and that again just shows you that this man had an integrity and he was not afraid of the truth and he wasn't going to be swayed. Now he's, look, he knows he's before the Pharisees. He's heard the argument, right? He's heard the argument. They're saying this man can't be from God. And so, but yet, he, or he actually doesn't hear it yet, but he anticipates the conflict. And he's, he's like, I'm not going to change. I'm going to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, simply, clearly. He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And again, for the first time, we see something totally different, and that is now the Pharisees will divide over this question, the question of the gospel. Who is Jesus? There's a division. Notice verse 16. Some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So to remember, they're, they're faced with the same decision everybody is. Do you focus on making clay or do you focus on the miracle of healing the blind man? Some of the Pharisees, they focused on the clay and the legalism. Others, others focused on the miracle. Wait a minute. He's performed these signs. How can he be a sinner? God doesn't, doesn't, doesn't use, now, when we say sinners, it don't mean somebody who commits an occasional sin, but, you know, commits one of the uh, sin against one of the Ten Commandments. And so they said, how can that happen? There's no way that God would, would work through a man who broke the Ten Commandments. Not realizing that everybody breaks the Ten Commandments, but that's another story. Okay, so again, two groups. There's a division. That first group, the first group, the ones that speak first, notice, they were saying this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. They were hoping that that would be definitive. They were hoping to kind of squash any disagreement by declaring this with their authority as an expert on the law. Nope, this man cannot be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. 
So it took something for the other group to speak up and say, wait a minute. How can a man who is a sinner perform signs like this? Open the eyes of the blind. It's unprecedented. The first group, only way you can explain this is that they had already closed their hearts to Jesus. They were already totally biased against him. They weren't an objective jury. They had already decided that this man is trouble. We're going to have to put him to death. They tried to stone him at the end of chapter 8, after all. They said he had a demon back in chapter 8. Now, once you say we're going to stone this man and he has a demon, it's going to be impossible to change their minds at this point. They've gone far beyond a, a critical examination of evidence and putting it aside. This is personal now. They're outraged. They, they, they think that the only way to get this guy off their back is to have him die. They were driven, but they weren't driven by the, by the facts. Okay? They were driven by rage, arrogance, not evidence or reason. All right? When you're driven by arrogance, you don't listen to reason. When you're enraged, you don't care about the facts. And that's where they were at. But then there's that second group. Now, the second group didn't stand up and declare he's the Messiah, the son of God. But at least they were willing to hear more evidence. And that tells you something that in this group, it wasn't 100 percent. There were some who knew the Old Testament, who at least gave consideration to the fact that, you know what? Maybe this is really who he says he is. Maybe this miracle did occur. Maybe this unprecedented miracle that our scriptures say will only be performed by the Messiah actually happened. They didn't say it, but they were considering maybe this is the Messiah. By the way, we've seen this before, too. We've seen a Pharisee who said really the same thing. And it's all the way back in chapter three and it's chapter three, verses one to two. And it's a man by the name of Nicodemus. He was in the camp of being willing to consider evidence, but skeptical. Look at John chapter 3, verse 1. John 3, 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus had performed many signs in his first visit to Jerusalem. Okay, that was in chapter two. If you remember, everybody in Jerusalem heard about it. But Nicodemus is at least open to the possibility. He says, look, we know you've come from God as a teacher. Now, he calls him rabbi. He doesn't call him Lord. He says he's a teacher not the Messiah. So he really, he's skeptical, but he's willing to consider. He's willing to come to Jesus and hear him out. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. See, that was the stage at which Nicodemus was. I think God's with him in some way. I want to find out more. And see, that's, that is a, a heart that is at least seeking, at least open, at least has integrity, at least says, you know what? I've got to I've got to learn. I got to find out what's really going on. Who is this man? That's the first stage. You know, the first stage is being willing to hear about Jesus. Right. So many won't. But but some do. And that's the first stage 
of moving on to hearing the gospel and believing. This, the truth about Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what generation you're in, will force a man to choose. Very simple. Force a man to choose. Let's go to John chapter. Whoa. Oh, you don't see that good. I I don't know what I did, but I'll be okay. Let's go to John chapter 9, verse 39. John 9, 39. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world. So that those who do not see may see. And that those who see may become blind. Notice when he say, he says, for judgment, I came into this world. Now, he's, he, otherwise, he says, I haven't come to judge the world, but to save it. But then the judgment here refers to the fact by him coming into the world, it forces a decision. He, his, who he is, what he says will 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 determine according to how people accept that or reject it their ultimate destiny so it's in that sense that he's the judge he will say it was the word i say on the last day all right those who do not see those who are in the dark and they know full well they're in the dark they don't pretend to know something they don't know those may see those may there's those are ready to hear the truth about jesus those who already think they see have no need to look at Jesus. They already think they know it all. That shows that they're going to become blind. In fact, it shows they already are. But what do you choose to see? What do, what do you choose to see in, in chapter 9? Do you choose to be the, the kind of person who only wants to focus on the clay? Is that, do you just see a man making clay on the Sabbath and say, that's a lawbreaker. That's it. You know? Or... Do you choose to see the miracle and the miracle worker? Jesus, the Messiah, God's son. Those are the choices. Those are the choices for everybody. Here we are in chapter nine. Here we've seen the story. Are you going to focus on the negative? Are you going to focus on the yeah, but? Are you going to focus on a rigid, legalistic interpretation of life? Or are you going to choose to see the miracle and only the miracle and the miracle worker who is revealing himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, even though the Pharisees talk about violating the Sabbath, it really wasn't about the Sabbath for them at all. It was about blind hatred. And they'll pick any straw in order to be able to stick to their guns and explain why it is that they have nothing to do with this man. The Pharisees... We're split, though, remember. Some were definitely the hardened enemies of Christ by now. They wanted him dead. They would not even consider the possibility that he had opened the eyes of a blind man. They wouldn't consider it because if they even considered it, then that would say that they're, they're willing to see that he might be the Messiah. They absolutely had closed that door to themselves. They repeatedly, arrogantly ignored clear evidence that Jesus is from God. Arrogant repeated ignorance of clear evidence that Jesus is from God. You know, we saw that we've seen this so many times in the Old Testament. How, how about the Pharaoh, right? When Moses comes and he performs 10 miracles and all that that did was the Pharaoh hardened his heart more and more and more. See that there's people who 
no matter what you tell them about Jesus Christ, they'll ignore the evidence. They'll, they'll put it aside. They'll have some straw that they cling to. Right? I'm a good person. Or, you know what? What about the fact that there's some people who never have a chance to believe? Or what about evolution? Right? Or I'm all set. I got my religion. I got my rituals. I'm okay with God. Right? Because they will, those kind of people will repeatedly ignore clear evidence that Jesus is the Son. If they even read the Gospel of John, some won't even do that. Some will say, I, they'll read everything under the sun. They'll read magazines, they'll read stuff online, but they won't read the Gospel. You tell them that, and they're like, I don't want to do that. Ignoring evidence that Jesus is from God, is God. And but but they're sitting there. They can't refute the witness, though. All right. What are they going to say? You know, he comes. He says, I was healed by Jesus. They can't refute him. There's no way to do that. He's a credible witness. So what do they do? They change the subject. Well, that's all well and good. But all I know is that he broke the Sabbath. As soon as I saw that, I knew he couldn't be from God. Right. People will say, wait a minute, though. But the God of the Old Testament, he was mean and nasty. Right. He is not a God of love. You know, people always cling to something. Always change the subject. But here's the thing. You know, Jesus didn't. And I know you know this. He didn't break the Sabbath at all. (laughs) You know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. All he did was violate one of their man-made rules, right? They preferred the rules of man to the truth about God. That's what they did. They did it repeatedly. They would, they would tell somebody that, I know, you, I know that you think you're supposed to take care of your parents, but if you take that money and give it to us, that's actually holier, right? They would, and they said that all the time, right? So they were very willing to violate the Sabbath themselves, violate the principle behind the Sabbath, and, and instead cling to man-made rules that they, they know were made by man, tra- tra- tradition. But as Jesus had said before when he healed the paralytic, please go to John chapter 7, verse 23. What did Jesus say about violating the Sabbath when it comes to healing? Look at John chapter 7, verse 23. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken. After all, if making clay is a work, don't you think performing a circumcision is a work? (laughs) Yeah, it's probably more of a work because you know what they did when they performed circumcision? They got paid. They got paid. So hmm, they're willing to violate the law in order to keep another aspect of it. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken. Are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. But they weren't about to do that. They were they were totally opposed to Jesus. They rejected all the evidence about him. But you know what the sad thing is? The dangerous thing is that first group, he can't be from God because he violated the Sabbath. 
they were in charge. The, the, the large majority of the Pharisees belonged to that first group. They were vocal. Remember, they spoke up first. They would continue to be vocal. They were dominant. They were the they had the power. That wing of the Pharisees was the one who was embittered against Jesus, persecuted him, wanted him dead. From here forward in chapter nine, and really through the rest of this of, of, of the of, of the interactions, this is the group that will totally control things. They're going to control this inquiry from here forward. They're going to bring the kid, the, the man man who was healed. They're going to bring his parents. And it's the Jews, as we'll see, that's why I pointed out the change, right, from Pharisees to Jews. Why? Because they start out as one as a group of Pharisees. They divide over the question of who Jesus is and they're led forward. This second group then comes to the forefront. And that's what that's what John means by the Jews. Okay? Those people, those Jewish leaders who were embittered against Jesus and wanted him dead. All right, so so now we see something. Now, remember, the man is there. The man who was blind and received his sight has heard this now. He's heard the discussion, the argument between one group of Pharisees and another, between the dominant group and the smaller group. This gave him an opportunity, really, because he's not going to change this story. He knows what happened. But as he listens... He has an opportunity to reflect on these things, right? Is he from God or not? Well, what we see in in chapter 9 of the Gospel of John is a special feature that you find in in John's Gospel pretty much alone. And that is that you see a person progressing in his understanding of who Jesus is. John takes the time here, a whole chapter, to walk through and show this man as he becomes more and more enlightened about who Jesus is. Remember, he started out as a man, right? A man called Jesus, right? But he's going he's gonna to have his eyes opened more and more and more. It's a special feature of John. John documents the progress of individuals in their understanding of who Jesus is. You know, our faith is not magical. It's not blind faith. It's faith based on what's revealed as the truth. And that comes first. Right? You know the truth. You believe the truth. You live the truth. You see, God never expects anyone to take the to take the gospel, as it were, on blind faith. Right? He, he, he expects his servants to give people the information that they need to have about Jesus Christ before they can believe, right? Before that they need to know that he's the son of God. If they're Jewish, they need to know he's the promised Messiah. They need to know that they're sinners. They need to know that they need a savior. They're not righteous. They need to know that Jesus is the God man who came for them, died for their sins, was buried and was raised from the dead. They need to know that it's simply a matter of faith. They need to know that that they they are not going to be put under a microscope. They don't have to repent of all their sins. They simply need to believe the truth that they've been given. Right. Having heard the gospel and believing it, you have been been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we see this. John carefully maps this out. By the way, this isn't the first time we saw it. We saw it earlier with the Samaritan woman. 
Remember? At first, she just saw Jesus as a Jewish man. Remember when Jesus came to the well, he was thirsty and he asked the woman for a drink. Right. At first, she says, well, who are you? You're a man and you're a Jew. How could you possibly be asking a Samaritan woman for a drink? All she saw at first with Jesus, that he's a Jewish man. But then the, the conversation progresses. He says some amazing things. He says he has living water that if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. But then he says something else. He says that, you know, she says, he says, hey, get your husband. And, and the woman says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you've spoken truthfully. You've had five. And the man you have now is not your husband. Wow. I, she, she just met this guy and he knows all about her. Well, at that point. In her eyes, he no longer was simply a Jewish man. After he had told her everything about her life. Now, again, he's not requiring blind faith. Right. He's showing evidence about who he is. And then she declared a progress, a progression in her understanding. He's not just any old Jewish man. He's a prophet. He's a prophet. Then things continue. And then it turns and she has a religious question and he gives her an answer she didn't expect about worship. And then she says, yeah, but you know what? We'll know all about that when the Messiah comes. And then he says, what? I who am standing here am he. I am he. So then finally, she gets the, 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 the piece of resistance. Anyway, I'm not going to speak French. The, 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 the one fact that blows away every other one, that he's the Messiah. But see, she had to know that and then believe it. But again, notice the project, the progression here. From Jewish man, who is Jesus to her? Jewish man. But then as she learns more about him, now she sees he's a prophet. Then finally, as she learns the most important thing, now he know, she knows that he's a Messiah. From a man, Jewish man to a prophet to the Messiah. And that's okay, you know. People do need to be brought along in their understanding of things about Jesus. Okay. Well, the same thing we see. And by the way, especially, especially... When he was walking the earth. See, today we have the completed canon of scripture. In one conversation with a person, we can tell them all these things, right? But but see, when Jesus was on planet earth, he would walk people through all of that. And it's a lesson for us, too. But the same thing happens to the man born blind. At first, he simply says that Jesus was a man. But then he's brought before the Pharisees and he hears them debating and he hears one group saying, this man is not from God. And that triggered something in his heart. That troubled him. How could they say that about Jesus? And in response to that, he then realized more about who he is. The Pharisees couldn't agree on who Jesus was. So in frustration, they asked that man who had been given his sight. Notice in verse 17 of John chapter 9. And are you there? No. Go forward to our passage and we'll just wrap up here in verse 17. John 9, 17. This blind, formerly blind man has heard the conversation now. He's heard the debate. And he, too, has to come to a conclusion that he hadn't really probably considered before. Well, he had all the facts. He, ha he knew that this man was a miracle worker. But it was only when the question of who he, where he's from gets challenged that then he has progression in his heart. Oh, wait a minute. No, no, he is more than just a Jewish man, he is from God. In the face of their unbelief, he realizes that Jesus is a prophet from God. 
You see, God can use even the unbelief of some people to, to stir up the truth about Jesus in other people's hearts. Now he knows he's not just a man. He's a prophet. He's from God. And soon he's going to discover that Jesus is far more than that. Far more than that. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for having John record these amazing things in his gospel. We also thank you, Father, that that you have declared that Jesus is your son. You have shown it from the very beginning of this gospel. We know who he is. He was with God and he was God and he became flesh. But we also thank you, Father, that you um, have, have allowed John to show us real people wrestling with the facts, seeing human nature, understanding why it is that some are just not open to hearing the gospel at all, but also at the same time receiving more and more evidence that we can share with others about why it is that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Father, please bring people in our path this week. Bring people who have, perhaps they're in the second group of the Pharisees, where they're skeptical, but they're open to hear more evidence. They're open to the truth. And help us to be just like the man who was formerly born blind. Let us be credible witnesses. Let us just stick to the truth of the gospel, not try to embellish it. Just tell them the facts that that your son Jesus is the God-man. And we need him because we're born in sin. And he took our sins of the cross and died for them and was buried. And that you raised him from the dead. And anybody who simply believes this truth about Jesus, the truth that's revealed in the gospel will never perish. But will have from that moment forever eternal life here on earth and forever with God in heaven. Father, we also at the end here this morning would like to just ask for your protection and provision. We, we, we pray as we do on Thursday nights with, with many, many different petitions that you know about, petitions in our heart. We thank you for answered prayer. We need that, as you know, as well, because we just, we're just human, too. We need to be built up, too, by, the, by the, uh, your power at work. So we thank you for all of that. We, uh, again, we, we ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, please come Thursday, either on Skype or in person, as we continue in the prophet Isaiah. With that, you're dismissed.